if I were to ask you from a Christian perspective, from a Christian point of view, how do you feel about what is going on in our world or in our nation in general? How would you answer that question? How do you feel the direction in which we are going as a nation overall from a Christian perspective is going? Good? Bad? Are we becoming a more godly nation or a godless nation? What would happen if the nation or the state were to ever to turn against God's people? Is that something that is far-fetched? 20 or 30 years ago, I would have never said in my lifetime that I think that that would be a possibility. The way things are going, I'm not so sure. What would happen if the state were to begin to turn against God's people? I think it's a legitimate, fair question to ask, given what's going on in our society, in our culture, within our nation. The passage we're going to look at this morning does address some issues regarding that question with regards to the state and how it affects or how it treats God's people when the state begins to act in ways that are not in harmony with God's will. Uh, the passage we're going to look at today does deal with such questions. It deals with what would the state do if it started to turn against God's people? What would God do if the state started to turn against God's people? How should we conduct ourselves when the state begins, if it were, to turn against God's people? This is what this passage is going to address. And yes, this is the text that deals with the birth of a deliverer, the birth of Moses. But it is happening within a context. I'm talking about Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, to Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. That is the passage we're going to look at this morning. Several weeks ago, we were looking at the book of Genesis, and we went through the Joseph story. Now we're going to fast forward from that. And we're going to see hundreds of years later that the children of Israel are in Egypt and Joseph has died and all of his family has died in his immediate generation. Now the people of Israel have multiplied innumerously within Egypt. I know this because in verse 7, a passage that's not on the screen, it says this, but the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with the Israelites. This was a sign that God was present in Egypt with his people. They were multiplying and they were fruitful. They were abundant. The author of the language is showing you that God is with the people of Israel in Egypt and he's blessing them. That's the context. So now comes the question. What happens when the state begins to turn against God's people? Number one, 
when the state begins to turn against God's people, it will often attempt to manipulate the masses by using propaganda that is based on fear. Verses 8 to 10. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. That's not a good sign. And he said or spoke to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier, more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. I want you to note that the Egyptian king is not presented here as one who rules with absolute sovereignty over a nation, but as a clever despot who sets about to convince his supporters of his plan. And he's going to use the fear that he has. What's he afraid of? What is the Pharaoh afraid of? He's afraid that the people are becoming too populous. There's too many of them. And he's afraid that if become too many of them, if there's too many of these Israelites within our midst, two things are going to happen. Well, they're going to defeat us or fight against us if our enemies come and attack us. And we'll lose a battle. Afraid. We don't want to lose a battle. And that fear that he has, he's putting it upon the people, saying, you don't want to be in a position where we're fighting against the Israelites and we lose a battle. So he's trying to spread fear. It's propaganda. Not only does he not want the people of Israel to grow, he doesn't want the people of Israel to what? Leave the land. He's afraid that they're going to leave the land. And so he uses that communication and that propaganda to the people of Egypt, his own countrymen. He's trying to create fear through propaganda. That's exactly what he's doing. Now, what do I mean by propaganda? Propaganda is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's trying to manipulate the people through spreading false or distorted information. There's no evidence that the Israelites were going to join the Egyptians. This is all hypothetical. But he's manipulating it and he's using fear to get people to buy into what he wants to do, which is to oppress God's people. Keep in mind, there's two things that Pharaoh does here that is in violation of God's will. Number one, he doesn't want the people of Israel to grow and multiply. What was God's promise to Abraham? You're going to have so many descendants, they're going to be, they're going to be so numerous, there'll be, as no, there'll, be, there'll be so many of them, they'll be like stars in the sky and grains of sand along the seashore. So God's will is what? To multiply and to grow the Israelites in Egypt. That's what he wants to do. He's actually forming a people in the womb of Egypt. That's what he's doing. Secondly, he doesn't want the Israelites to leave the land. Well, that's a problem. Why? Because God's promise to the Israelites, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was what? You're going to live in the land of Canaan. 
But Pharaoh doesn't want them to leave the land. So in two specific areas, Pharaoh's desire is clearly contrary to the will of God. So we're going to have a problem here, aren't we? Because God wants them to multiply and he wants them to go back to Canaan. And those are two things that Pharaoh does not want to have happen. But the point I want to make is this, that when the state begins to move against God's people, they will often attempt to manipulate the masses by using propaganda that is based on fear. Is that happening today? I pose the question, you answer that. But that is how it often starts. When the state begins to move, it will use propaganda, it will use propaganda and manipulate the masses to get them fearful so that those policies they want to put forth will be put forth. This is biblical. This is what's happening here. Douglas Stewart, a renowned Old Testament scholar, says this. What the Pharaoh did was to sound the alarmist note, which was calculated to get approval from the masses for his planned campaign of oppression. All oppressive regimes use the threat of some great danger, real or imagined, to justify violation of human rights. This sort of propaganda has worked countless times in history. If a regime wishes to be given freedom to oppress a given group within a nation, it defines that group as an undermining force, a real danger, and potentially the agent of overthrow of the established order. The pharaoh was spouting ethnic hate propaganda of the sort still widely employed in the modern world to justify ethnic or religious persecution and eventually will become genocide. That's how it starts. Manipulation through propaganda, getting people to be afraid. That's how it begins. Secondly, when the state begins to turn against God's people, it will often manifest itself through oppressive or repressive policies that will intensify over time. Verses 11 to 14. Therefore, they set taskmasters, these were Egyptian taskmasters or captains of labor gangs over the Israelites to afflict or to oppress them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted or oppressed them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So it's not working. So what do they do? So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. That is, they treated them harshly. They worked them ruthlessly. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, with hard labor, both in mortar and in brick. That is, they were constructing storehouses and in all manner of service in the field. All their service, their hard labor in which they made them serve, was with rigor. Both Pharaoh and the Egyptians were working them ruthlessly. Oppression, and the oppression got intense as time went by. This is happening over periods of years. This is what happened. He manipulates, and then you oppress. What do I mean by oppression? To oppress especially of a social or of a political system, is inhibiting or restraining the freedom of a person or a group of people. So when you begin to see the freedoms that we have as individuals starting to be worn away, look out. 
It also means to keep someone in subservience and hardship, especially by the unjust exercise of authority. This is what happens when the state begins to turn against God's people within a given society. It will begin to oppress them and limit their freedoms and the choices that they can make. That's what happened with the Israelites. They became slaves and no longer had their freedom. It was taken away from them for no reason other than the one who was in power didn't want them to do what God wanted them to do. Thirdly, when the state turns against God's people through the implementation of oppressive policies, God will often reward and bless those who remain faithful to his will. Verses 15 to 21. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name was one was Shifra, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively. In other words, they are more active or perhaps more involved in the childbirth process than Egyptian women. And they give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, because the women did this, Shifra and Pua, God dealt with the midwives and the people he dealt, well, he, dwelt, he dealt well with the midwives and the people and multiplied, and they grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households or families for them. Did you notice what has happened? Pharaoh's initial oppressive policies don't work. The people continue to multiply and grow, which is what Pharaoh does not want to do. So what does he do? He escalates the oppression and he goes to the Hebrew women, perhaps secretly, and says, I want you to kill all the Hebrew babies that are males. They won't do it. They refuse to do it. The will of God was for the people to multiply and flourish. If they kill the children, they're in opposition to the will of God. And because they feared God more than Pharaoh... That is, they were more concerned about what would happen to them after they died face-to-face -face before God than they were fearful of facing death for refusing to obey Pharaoh's orders. That's what it means to fear God here. And God rewarded them by blessing them with a family. Midwives did not normally have families. They were often single women and because they were single women and they didn't have families, it allowed them to perform the duties of midwives where they would go all over and they would aid and assist women giving birth. But God here blesses them and gives them a family of their own because of their faithfulness in the midst of persecution, in the midst of oppression. Notice that they are named. Shifra and Pua are named no other person in the first five books of Exodus are named other than Moses and the patriarchs. That's it. Shifra, Pharaoh is not mentioned. He's just the Pharaoh. 
The fact that they are named is to give honor to them because God knows them. He knows them by name. Shifra and Pua are being honored and are blessed greatly in the midst of oppression by the state. And I said before that this was an escalation of this policy of oppression. Why was there an escalation of this policy? How did it happen? The propaganda campaign against Israel or God's people had long since been accepted into the general consciousness and the government had reason to think that the citizenry would not tolerate this escalation. So go ahead. Again, this is happening over years. And it is true that today, things that are acceptable today were not accepted 20 years ago. And things that are not acceptable today will probably be accepted 20 years from now. A slow incremental change over time as the masses of people get accustomed to certain things it encourages those in power to take the next step gradually. That's what's happening here. Fourthly, when the state turns against God's people through implementation of oppressive policies, our actions should be motivated by faith, not fear. This is in verse 22 of chapter 1 and the first four verses of chapter 2. Listen, verse 22. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born to you, you shall cast in the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived, and what does she do? She bears a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put it, the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to this child. Now, it is interesting to note that Every action that Moses' mother takes here could have been interpreted as being done out of fear. What, were the, what was the first action she takes here? She hides the child. Why does she hide the child? It was not because she was fearful of Pharaoh. The text says that she hides the child because the child was beautiful. We said, what in the world does that mean? Well, I mean, how beautiful can a child be? Is a child is a child, an infant's an infant. Was there something supernaturally beautiful about this child that caused her to hide the child? I tend not to think that that's the case here. I think what would help us understand this particular passage is that when the text says that when she saw that the child was beautiful, the term here means good. She saw the child that it was good. Think back with me back in Genesis chapter 1 when God is creating the world. He created light and saw that it was good. He created the earth and all the seas and separated them. He saw that it was good. Everything that God created in Genesis chapter 1 was good. It's the same root here. 
She saw the child, and the child was good. In other words, she recognized that the child that God had given her was formed by him in her womb. And therefore, it was not to be subject and treated as trash by throwing it in the river. So the reason why she hides the child is because she was faithful to God, not because she was fearful of Pharaoh's command. This is reinforced in Hebrews 11.23, where it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was beautiful, that he was good, and they were not afraid of the king's command. So what her action was here is evidence of her faith, not fear. Now, what was her next action? She takes the child and she walks down to the Nile River and places the child in the Nile River in an ark. Now think about this. We're all believers. We're all Israelites in Egypt. Every single one of us. We're all living in Egypt. We're all living with the threat that any male Hebrew born in our families has to go in the river. We all know each other as believers. We're a part of the community of God. One day you look out the window and you see me walking down to the Nile River with a baby boy in my hand with an ark. And you see me place that child into the ark and put it into the water. What are you thinking? Why is he doing that? Are people going to think that I'm intentionally abandoning or exposing my child? Some may. She was doing what Pharaoh wanted her to do. Put the, water in the, put the child in the water. It could have been interpreted that she was fearful of Pharaoh's command by getting rid of the child. I don't want to get caught with Pharaoh being mad at me by having a son I shouldn't have, so I'll get rid of it. It could have been interpreted that way. But we know that she did so out of faith. She was doing what, what appears to be abiding by Pharaoh's command by putting the child in the river. But we know that she was acting out of faith because she was wanting to protect the child. We know that because Moses' sister, Miriam, is watching the whole thing, making sure that nothing happens to the child. The point is this, that in times of great oppression, when the state begins to oppress God's people, our actions should be motivated by faith, not fear. Be, and that's very difficult to do when you're living in a state that is oppressing you because we're, our actions will be motivated more by faith, uh, fear than faith, and it should be the other way around. The author is clearly showing us through this, uh, her actions, which could be in, ambiguous, is showing us through her actions that she was doing so because of faith. She was not afraid, and it's very important for God's people in an oppressive time that our actions are based of faith, not fear. Saying that in normal times is one thing. Saying that when you may lose someone you love is something altogether different. And it's very important that we understand that. The only way we recognize that is to see the birth of Moses in the larger context in which it is in. When the state turns against God's people through an implementation of oppressive policies, our actions should be motivated by faith, not fear. Fifthly, when the state turns against God's people through the implementation of oppressive policies, compassion and help may come from the least likeliest of people. Verses 5 through 9. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. 
And her maidens, guarding the princess, walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she, Pharaoh's daughter, had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. She has compassion on the child, knowing the identity of the child, that this child should be sentenced to death. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Unbelievable. Who would have ever thought that who was going to help this Israelite family was an Egyptian. Not only an Egyptian, but a member of Pharaoh's own household. Pharaoh was saying, I want to kill all of the, un, all of the uh, infant male children openly. He recruited the whole nation to do this. And God says, oh, okay. You want to do that? You know what I'm going to do? I am going to raise up a deliverer and and I'm going to do it in such a way that your own daughter is going to raise the child, educate the child, and your treasury, O Pharaoh, is going to fund the whole thing openly. The mom now, the real mother of Moses, is now going to be able to raise her child without the fear of government interference, all because of the help of Pharaoh's daughter, a least likely person to help God's people at that time. How many of you ever saw the movie Schindler's List? I never saw the movie. But if you're not aware of Schindler's List, Schindler's List is based on a true story of a Nazi Czech businessman named Oskar Schindler who uses Jewish labor to start a factory in occupied Poland. As World War II progresses and the fate of the Jews become more and more clear, Schindler's motivations switch from profit to human sympathy and compassion. And he is able to save over 1,100 Jews from death in the gas chambers. Now, how likely was this to happen that a member of the Nazi party would have compassion on the Jews and save them amid an open policy to exterminate them? A woman by the name of Rena Finder, who was one of the youngest Jewish workers in the enamelware and ammunition factory in Krakow, owned by Oskar Schindler, was quoted as saying in Time Magazine interview in 2018, he was sent by God to take care of us. Pharaoh's daughter was being sent by God to take care of them at a time when they needed it, and it came from the unlikeliest of people in the unlikeliest of positions. It tells us, God's people, that in times of oppression when the state may turn against God's people, the help for God's people may come from the unlikeliest of individuals and places. And sixthly, when the state turns against God's people through the implementation of their oppressive policies, their policies will ultimately fail to thwart God's plan to save and to redeem his people. Verse 10, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. 
The name Moses is a constant reminder to him and to us of his salvation. For he was drawn out of the water, that is, from the place from which he was supposed to die. What Pharaoh had intended as a means to bring about the death of God's deliverer, the Nile River, God had used as a means to bring forth life. And I am reminded that what the devil had intended as a means to bring about the death of God's great deliverer, the cross, God used as a means to bring about the life of many. This shows us that no matter what the enemy tries to do to God's people in this world through means of the state or otherwise, God's plan of salvation for his people ultimately cannot be thwarted. No matter what happens going forward for God's people, know this, that God's plan of redemption, God's plan of salvation, God's mission for the world will not be thwarted. It may be changed, but it will not be thwarted. God's plan in saving his people and delivering them from the womb of Egypt, which Pharaoh is trying to abort, will fail. This is the story of the deliverer of Moses, and it is true of Jesus Christ. He is the one whose plan will not be able to be thwarted no matter what goes on in our world, no matter what we hear about in social media, no matter what we see or experience, know this, God's plan of saving mankind will not and cannot ultimately be thwarted. Amen? Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we do know we're living in difficult times for us as a people. And we are your people. We are your flock. We are your sheep. You're the great shepherd. Uh, Lord, we don't know what lies ahead for us as your people, as Christians. We know throughout history your people have been persecuted, have been blamed for things that they never did, blamed for motives that were never within our hearts as believers. We know that you know all things and you see all things. And we just pray, Lord, that the kind of persecution and oppression that was experienced by the Jewish people in Egypt never, ever happens here. We pray that it does not. We do pray for godly leaders to be raised up, that they would be given wisdom so that they can lead with holiness and righteousness and justice. The stand for truth, regardless of what the cost is. But if you permit oppression to happen to your people in this nation, we ask that you would give us the wisdom and the courage and the strength as many of these people demonstrated in the passage we read this morning, like Zifra and Pua, Moses' mother, Moses' older sister, Pharaoh's daughter. I'm amazed at the fact that Pharaoh wanted to keep the men from living, but it was the women who, sub, who subjugated his plans. Lord, you can use anyone and anything to accomplish your purpose and help us to be people of pure hearts that are completely devoted to you so that we can accomplish your purpose here in this world and give us strength to be faithful to you in difficult times that may come our way in the future. We pray that that's not the case, but if it is so, help us to live holy 
and faithfully to you because one day we are going to see you face to face and we will know as we are known. Lord, hear our prayer this morning. We offer it up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us continue our worship this morning by seeing when we see your face.
and you'll gather us together in your arms of endless grace as your bride forever when we see your face one day we're actually going to see him face to face we don't know when that will be we have no idea when that will become a reality when we actually are seeing him face to face and he's seeing us until that time we may be facing some difficult road in the future we hope that doesn't happen but if it does know this that god's plan god's work ultimately cannot be thwarted no matter what happens in this nation or in this world god is ultimately in control and for that we can be thankful grateful and comforted. Now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now go in peace. Amen.